Catholic Commentary. Spiritual Warfare. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Jesus 911. Soul Patrol Jesus 911. One man car, my partner Paul Clay is out visiting family in New Jersey. He's out there evangelizing, doing apostolic work. I am here, got a lot to talk about today. Just uh, want to mention, I want to congratulate uh, <clears throat> Donald Trump for winning the Iowa caucus. It looks like he's going to be the uh, the nominee for the Republican Party. And so I think, God willing, that we'll see some better days if uh, he ends up becoming president for another four years. But... <clears throat> Uh, I just want to remind you that we're in the month of January. The month of January is dedicated to the holy name of Jesus. Find an excuse any time throughout the day to say the holy name of Jesus. Just find an excuse to say that name as often as possible. Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, come to my assistance. Jesus, help me. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, stay with me. Find a, find any excuse to say in the name of Jesus throughout the day. And also remember that during the sacred liturgy, during Holy Mass, anytime the name Jesus or Mary or the saint of the day is mentioned, but most especially the name of Jesus, you bow your head. You bow your head. <clears throat> I know a lot of people, as they pray the Holy Rosary, guys that I pray the rosary with, when we say the name of Jesus, once a week I pray uh, the rosary with about 80 men. And all 80 men on our knees, when we say the name of Jesus, we do this, bow our head. So we do it 53 times. And also, now we're in the season of, uh, it's called ordinary time in the liturgical season. You'll see that the color is green, and that's a symbol of hope. The color green is a symbol of uh, seeds that are sprouting. The color green arouses in, in, in the Catholic faithful, it, it arouses hope of reaping an eternal harvest in heaven and especially the hope of eternal life and the hope of that uh, salvation, the resurrection of the body as well as the soul in heaven one day and the reunification of the body and the soul. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about Pope Francis. Most people don't realize that when he was elected, his election was celebrated by Freemasons. And Liz Yor, a very respected Catholic attorney, he says that he says that um, he's continuing to advance the Freemasonic agenda. Let me share with you what Liz Yor says, a very respected Catholic lawyer and a very faithful Catholic. I, I know her. She's a friend of mine. And we're saying this because we're trying to call people to pray, to, 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 to pray for the Pope every single day in your rosary, your divine mercy, your mass. We need more people praying for him so that his interior conversion would continue and go deeper and deeper, and he would, and he would come back, and uh, really lead the church back. 
in the ways of the his 266 predecessors, starting with Peter. So Liz Yor, she gave a brief address over at St. Peter's Square a few weeks ago. And she said that Pope Francis mentioned the Freemason tenet of brotherhood twice and that he never uttered the term Catholic. So yeah, so Liz Yor is saying that Pope Francis gave this speech in St. Peter's Square. So, <clears throat> in the introduction, it seems like as if dialogue dominates the decade of, of Pope Francis. It seems like if dialogue litters the language of Pope Francis's apostolic exhortations and encyclicals, it seems like dialogue was the justification for the deadly Chinese Communist Party secret deal with the Vatican. It seems to me like if dialogue was the justification for the Abu Dhabi declaration with Islam. It seems to me as if dialogue is the prevailing thesis of liberation theology. Seems to me like dialogue is the hollowed commandment of Freemasonry. It seems to me like if dialogue is the crux of Pope Francis's pontificate, and it seems to me like if dialogue is now a laughable punchline for the synod on sin. But it's not humorous. It's deadly serious. Dialogue animates the grave question. Where are we headed as a church? Where is the synod and synodality taking us? And is the Pope leading us in the ways of sacred tradition and the deposit of faith? Now here's a sobering analysis of a decade of disasters according to Liz Yor, a very respected Catholic lawyer. Here's what she writes. This is Liz Yor. This is on LifeSite News. She's a very respected Catholic international lawyer on, uh, for children. That's her specialty, children. She writes, An unfortunate beginning. I met Pope Francis in early 2013, a mere six months after his election. I was eager to attend the first Pontifical Human Trafficking Conference held inside the Vatican. It was sponsored by the Pontifical Academy of Social Sciences. Lizior says, As a child advocate attorney, I expected to hear a profoundly Catholic solution to the global scourge of human trafficking. But there was no mention of evil as the existential cause of this predatory criminal enterprise. Instead, the Vatican was promoting a modern globalist revolution. It was hell-bent on secular solutions such as the global minimum wage as a solution to the evil of human slavery and sexual exploitation. In attendance were leftist bureaucrats from the Obama administration, radical UN operatives, and globalist activists from NGOs. Liz Yor says, I observed Pope Francis closely and was deeply disturbed by his overtly political demeanor. My, the entire conference left me shaken. 
my soul was rattled by this very uncatholic experience in the very heart of the Vatican and in the prolonged presence of Pope Francis. The Holy See seemed like, like enemy territory suddenly. I felt the sense of dread and was left with the profound impression that an uncatholic agenda was underway in this pontificate. A colleague turned to me halfway through the conference and asked, are we the only pro-lifers here? The chilling question summed up the conference and a pattern would soon emerge as Pope Francis is praised, as he praised Emma Bonino, Italy's foremost pro-abortionist, a woman who bragged that she and her group had aborted over 10,000 babies. She was hailed by the Pope as one of Italy's greats. <clears throat> you can see the cognitive dissonance that Liz Yor is going through here. The <clears throat> scandalous habit of elevating and publicly praising bitter enemies of life, including virulent detractors of the Catholic faith, became a troubling hallmark of the Pope Francis regime. 18 months later, in April 2015, I, Yor, returned to the Vatican with a delegation of the world's most prestigious climate scientists. They included scholars and researchers from MIT, climatologists, NASA scientists, and other scientists. These prominent experts were frankly shocked by the clear bias and dubious qualifications of the scientists advising Pope Francis on his upcoming encyclical, Laudato Si. They, sought, they urgently sought an audience, a dialogue with, with Pope Francis for a serious discussion. Lizior says, Our delegation of pro-lifers naively hoped that the Pope of Dialogue was interested in dialoguing on the complex issue of climate. These esteemed and highly credentialed experts, some of whom were Catholic, were stunned that Pope Francis was relying on radical population control advocates, neo-Malthusians, to advise him on his environmental encyclical. Needless to say, <clears throat> the Pope of Dialogue was not at all interested in dialoguing with the other side of this very complex scientific issue. And the Vatican officials expelled these esteemed scientists from the press conference at the Pontifical Academy of Social Scientists. Authentic dialogue with Pope Francis had been tested and found wanting. For him, dialogue is a one-way street that leads to a dead end. Liz Yor says, To my horror, I saw climate change emerge as the new religion of the global elites and their papal patron. It is now enshrined in the, in the Francis scripture of Laudato Si and Laudato Deum. We'll be back. Stick around. Don't go anywhere. Jesus 911. Now, back to Jesus 911. 
If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, One Man Car. My name is Jess Romero. Liz, you're a friend of mine who's a very, very respected Catholic attorney. And her expert, her expertise is in child cases, uh, child abuse, child protection, child trafficking. That's her expertise. She was invited over to the Vatican by Pope Francis's, uh, by Pope Francis and, and the Roman Curia to sit in a conference with Pope Francis, basically the second year that he was into his papacy back in 2015. And she's talking about the way her as a pro-life child advocate, she was disillusioned and disheartened by seeing that the whole emphasis of the conference that she was invited to was all about climate change and global warming. Here's what she writes. Liz Yor says, To my horror, I saw climate change emerge as the new religion of the global elites and their papal patron, Pope Francis, it is now enshrined in Pope Francis's scripture of Laudato Si and Laudato Deum, completely with newly minted environmental sins. I never knew we could sin against the environment. I could not remain silent while the beauty and truth of the Catholic faith, the faith of my ancestors, suffered assault by the by the Argentine in the chair of Peter, writes Lizior. I saw firsthand that the Pope of Dialogue and Mercy is a contrived artifice, a manipulation, disguising a radical political ideology to permanently modernize Catholic doctrine, liturgy, and praxis. The Dialogue of Disaster, number one, she says this, Lizior writes, Dialogue disaster number one, the Freemasons. On March 13, 2013, Pope Francis stood before the crowd without papal mozetta, without red shoes, without gold papal pectoral cross. There suddenly appeared on his left the smug Belgium senior prelate, Cardinal Godfrey Daniels, the notorious modernist, the scheming predator cover-up artist, the mastermind and self-appointed mafia don of the St. Gallen Mafia. Daniels stood motionless. He was a sentinel from, the, from St. Gallen, confident that Pope Francis would, under, would undertake the cunning, secret, decades-old plot to remove Catholicism from the faiths of the earth and install a modernist agenda, a new world religion. The church would be renamed, in the words of the St. Gallen Godfather, Cardinal Mantini, a synodal church. In his first address to the crowd filling St. Peter's Square that chilly evening, Pope Francis mentioned the Freemason tenet of brotherhood twice. <clears throat> he never uttered the word Catholic, a term which would gradually be exercised or excised from his vocabulary, his speeches, and his globalist project of a synodal church and a one-world religion. Pope Francis curated his humble and merciful persona with a carefully orchestrated media campaign, and curiously, he was cheered on 
by the Freemason leadership within hours of his appearance on the balcony, on the loggia. I remember seeing that. Get this. Grandmaster Gustavo Raffi of the Grand Orient Masonic Lodge of Italy lavishly praised Pope Francis' election and wrote the following, quote, The simple cross that he wore in his white robe gives us hope that a church of the people may find again the ability to dialogue with all men of goodwill and with Freemasonry, which, as the Latin America experience teaches, works for the common good and progress of humanity. Well, that's a lie. That was stated by Grandmaster Gustavo Raffi of the Grand Orient Masonic Lodge. <clears throat> the Mason also says Grandmaster Raffi confidently offered his disquieting prediction of the Francis Papacy. He said this, quote, A man of the poor and far from the curia. Fraternity and dialogue are his first concrete words. Perhaps nothing in the church will be as it was before. Hmm. Fraternity and dialogue are his first concrete words. Perhaps nothing in the church will be as it was before. Lizior says that Pope Francis has left the, there's a trajectory of power and also betrayal of the Catholic faith and controversy with the Francis papacy. That's what we've seen, objectively speaking. And of course, I say this because this should inspire people to be praying for Pope Francis every day, either when you go to Holy Mass or if uh, in your daily rosary, in your daily divine mercy, all of us as Catholics should be praying for Pope Francis more than ever. Praying for his interior conversion. Lizio writes, Thus the Pope of Dialogue was christened by none other than the leader of the Freemasons. Over 60 Freemason global leaders from Canada to Peru, from Lebanon to Argentina, also celebrated the selection of the Argentine Mario Bergoglio. Pope Leo XIII warned that Freemasonry is based on naturalism. Naturalism asserts that human nature and human reason are supreme and that, and that there are no truths revealed by God that men are bound to believe. In other words, Freemasonry, it's anti-Christian in its essence. One of the powerful weapons of Freemasons against the Catholic Church is their promotion of religious indifferentism. And you can see how many Catholics have been affected by religious indifferentism. They've bought into it hook, line, and sinker. The Freemasons who promote religious indifferentism, the idea that, that really it doesn't matter to which religion one belongs, one religion is as good as another, this undermines Catholicism since only the Catholic Church firmly teaches 
that it is the one true religion established by God. But Grandmaster Rafi, the Freemason the, of, of, of the Grand Orient Masonic Lodge of Italy, he says, quote, Perhaps nothing in the church will be as it was before Pope Francis was elected or installed. Yeah, Freemasonry is the archenemy of the Catholic Church. It always has been, always will be. doesn't matter what any pope, any modern pope says. you got 150 years of papal condemnations against Freemasonry. In fact, Freemasonry is a catch-all term that describes the occult and Satanism. Freemasonry, in, in their essence, what do they want to do? What do Freemasons want to do? It's quite simple. Freemasons and Freemasonry wants to separate nature from grace. That's why they wanted to separate the church and state. Personally, when you separate nature from grace, you fall into sin and disorder. That's what happens. The essence of Freemasonry, communism, and Satanism is sola nature. In other words, they separate nature from grace. Freemasons, they're, they're all materialists. And Freemasonry is all based on materialism. But guess what? Without grace, America will be lost. Who is the restrainer that St. Paul talks about in his book, 2 Thessalonians? The restrainer. It's Christendom. Christendom is the restrain, restrainer. And who's the, who's the man of lawlessness? That's the Antichrist. Who restrains the Antichrist? It's the church. It's supposed to be the church. It's the church that gives us law and order. But you can see that Freemasonry... The goal of Freemasonry is to de-Christianize the world through the separation of church and state. In fact, 9 out of 56 of the founding fathers were Freemasons. What's most the most important issue to Freemasons is to separate church and state. What else do we know about the Freemasons? You know, a while back ago, over in Georgia, somebody blew them up. I don't know how, with dynamite or something, but the Freemasons, they put up in Elbert County, in a, in a remote part of Elbert County, Georgia, back in 1980, they erected was called the Georgia Guidestones. They were put up by the Freemasons to promote a new world order. And this massive monument, it has an alarming message to convey to the world. Although the message is 
is a beautiful ideal tracing its roots back to the concept of utopia. But the Freemasonic Ten Commandments also entails the sinister project and prospect for the future of humanity. The message is considered as the new Ten Commandments for an age governed by reason. Here's commandment number one of the Georgia Guidestones Ten Masonic Commandments. Commandment number one is this. Maintain humanity under half a million or excuse me, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Well, we've got 8 billion people on planet Earth. So the Freemasons, ideally, they would like to get rid of 7.5 billion people and just keep a half million people or 500 million people, which is a half a billion people here on planet Earth. Separation of church and state has been denounced by Pope Pius X in 1906. And by Pope Pius XI, 1925. Stick around, we'll be back. More to come. Jesus 911. I'm going to talk about there's nothing sadder than an aging hipster. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911, one-man car, Jess Romero. You know, there's nothing sadder than an aging hipster. What do I mean by that? Somebody that grow, is growing older but doesn't act their age. It's unbecoming. I'll give you an example. I used to speak, I spoke for 10 years every single year, several times a year, at Franciscan University's uh, youth conferences. But there came a point in time, especially when I reached my 50s, and they kept calling me, Jess, you want to come and talk to the, we'd like you to come and talk to the teenagers, 5,000 teenagers at Franciscan University of Steubenville. There just became a point in time where I just said, you know what, I'm not... uh, At this point, I just don't feel like I should be spending most of my time and energy talking to teenagers and young people. Leave. There's a lot of great young people out there. There's a lot of talent out there. I'm an old man. And so I I said, I need to start talking to people who are parents and God, grandparents and, 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 and how to mentor the younger people. And so the last 10 years, really, I've, I've focused more, maybe the last, maybe even longer than 10 years. I've been focusing on talking to people my age, so to speak. There's a good article written by a friend of mine, Louis Biad. He's a great Catholic writer and a political analyst. He writes for Catholics for Catholics. And his article is, there's nothing sadder than an aging hipster. Boy, oh boy, he's absolutely right. He writes this quote from comedian Lenny Bruce leaps to the forefront of the mind when sensing the miasma surrounding Pope Francis and his acolytes, pushing the changes in the Catholic Church. Honestly, despite the comparative levels of philosophical primacy in the church today, who seems to be more joyful? The traditionalist clergy like Frank Pavone, Bishop Joseph Strickland, 
Raymond Cardinal Burke, or the more liberal end of the theological spectrum represented by German bishops, U.S. cardinals, and the prefect of the dicastery for the doctrine of the faith, Cardinal Fernandez. The purveyors of this modernist change are limping right now. Consider, first and foremost, due to the worldwide rejection of fiducia supplicans. The modernists are backpedaling, not used to resistance. These progressives are having to modify the earlier instructions of the motu proprio. Recall the hubris in the document, paragraph 41 of fiducia supplicans was clearly designed to head off at the pass any objection to the blessing of homosexual unions beyond the guidance provided above. No further responses should be expected about possible ways to regulate details or practicalities regarding blessings of this type. Put simply, this was to be the law of the land. In view of this Pope, there was to be no regulation or restriction of this. And reading between the lines, it seems to say something approximating, kind of like, hey, don't bother sending me any other dubia questions because no further responses shall be forthcoming. But something strange happened on the road to apostasy. Hmm. Cardinals, bishops, and priests from all over the world rejected the instruction to bless the union of homosexual couples. All of Africa, bishops of Asia, and individual priests in various dioceses are rejecting this call to bless sin. Bishops of Asia and individual priests in various dioceses are rejecting this call to bless sin. As a result, what began as an offer to heretical blessings has been reduced to a permission slip to commit her heresy. Given this development, a logical observer might find it interesting that Francis allows an individual bishop freedom to permit the blessing of sodomy, but those same bishops are terrified to permit the offering of the Holy Mass in the extraordinary form in their diocese. This is because they know Francis and they know who truly is rigid. The Holy See has taken back, has been taken aback by, by this pushback, by this international response, but is realizing that they cannot cancel everyone. Enraged by this, Team Francis is lashing out where they can, even goes, going so far as to excommunicate those who don't tow the company line. Keeping in mind that excommunication is the nuclear option for any bishop, and despite the carefully crafted persona of Francis the Merciful, these are the petty and punitive machinations of a seething cabal of defected mafioso. The resignation and subsequent death of his predecessor has brought new opportunities to race towards a new church. The desire to eliminate all reminders of His Holiness Pope Benedict XVI has been a pattern. To put quite crudely, one wonders if the death of the Emeritus Pontiff possibly brought relief to the cabal. Yeah, to the St. Gallen cabal. 
mafia. His funeral was a shameful and perfunctory exercise in brevity. Notice also how they are erasing his legacy. The most egregious example has been the tossing of Samoran Pontificum into the trash can. But Benedict's allies, Francis calls them enemies, have been purged. The traditional Latin mass has been suppressed and transitioned to a synodal church denote the latest actions of, of a new church. Francis has even taken extraordinary steps or ordering the removal of Benedict's coat of arms from chasubles. Those currently in charge of the Vatican do not apparently subscribe to the axiom of, quote, of the dead say nothing but good. The resentment of Pope Benedict is caused by fear of his legacy. They know that the future of the church is heterosexual, young, and traditional. So desperate to arrive at a new church, they cancel the Latin Mass and they liquidate priests and bishops and cardinals who are pro-life. They have at least one archbishop, Vigano, living in hiding out of fear for his life. Despite their efforts, devotion to the traditional Latin Mass is growing with joyfully young, vibrant families. A frustrating juxtaposition from the ordinary form of the Holy Mass, exemplified by the ponytailed priest preaching to, half em- to the half-empty congregation of sleepy baby boomers. When Francis talks about his frustration caused by the Church of the West, or bemoans how rigid they are, what, what he's really talking about is those darn conservative traditionalists who are multiplying like bunnies. The modernists woke left. They're terrified because the clock is ticking on the pontificate of Pope Francis. The pressure on this feminized church to score points now on issues of homosexuality and women's role in the church is getting to Francis and he is showing signs of stress. The colonizers of an evolved church know that Pope Francis is not long for this world. And they're concerned. They want everything now. They want full modernism now. Those left to carry the torch question how the recent expression of the census fidelium, the hardening sense of the faithful exemplified in the sound rejection of fiducia supplicans, how that's going to impact the votes of even these cardinals who Francis put into red caps. By all the calculus of Francis number two should emerge from the next conclave. However, there may be a revulsion to this legacy and a pope may be sought out who will restore sanity to Holy Mother Church. I'm of the opinion, from my lips to God's ears, that at the next conclave, most of the cardinals, even the ones that he handpicked, 
are going to say, this papacy has pushed us too far to the left. This papacy has made nice with the world. I believe because of the ordination of these bishops, these cardinals, the laying on of hands, the sacerdotal anointing that they received, I believe that we're going to have a majority of cardinals at the next conclave that are going to have an an interior conversion and say, we've got to go in a different direction. We cannot continue going the the, uh, direction of Pope Francis. That's my hunch. That's my suspicion. We'll see. Up next, I want to talk about abortion. It was the leading cause of death worldwide for the fifth consecutive year in 2023. There's an article that was put out by the Western Journal last week, and it's called Abortion Was the Leading Cause of Death Worldwide for the Fifth Consecutive Year in 2023. You're listening to Jesus 911, and at the very end, I'll share with you some of the names of God in the Old Testament. And remember, what applies to God in the Old Testament applies to Jesus, the Son of God, in the New Testament because they share the same essence. We'll be right back. Stick around. Now, back to Jesus 911. If this call is not an emergency, dial 888-526-2151. Soul Patrol, Jesus 911. Did you know that the Christian Post reported that abortion was the leading cause of death worldwide in 2023, topping infectious diseases and cancer? And approximately... 44.6 million babies were murdered in the womb over the course of 2023, marking the fifth consecutive year in which abortion was the world's leading cause of death. Other significant causes of death included infectious diseases, cancer, smoking, alcohol abuse, HIV and AIDS, traffic accidents and suicides. When added up, Abortion caused more deaths than all the aforementioned factors combined. The data was sourced from World Ometer, a real-time statistics provider, which makes the distinction between induced abortions and natural abortions known as miscarriages. The data on abortions displayed on the on the Worldometer's counter is based on the latest estimates on worldwide abortions published by various sources, including the World Health Organization. According to the World Health Organization, every year in the world, there are around 73 million induced abortions. This approximately corresponds 
to 200,000 abortions per day. I can't even imagine that type of carnage. I really can't. 200,000 abortions a day on planet Earth? I can't wrap my mind around that. Worldometer noted that over the course of 2023, there were about 1,500 to 2,500 abortions a day in the United States alone. In the USA, where nearly 30% of pregnancies are unintended and 40% of these are terminated by abortion, there are 1,500 to 2,500 abortions per day. Nearly 20% of all pregnancies in the USA, excluding miscarriages, end in abortion. I didn't know that. Guttmacher Institute reports 930,160 abortions performed in 2020 in the U.S. with a rate of 14.4 per 1,000 women. It continued. The CDC reports 629,898,000 abortions in 2019 with a rate of 11.4 abortions per 1,000 women. And despite the overturning of Roe versus Wade in June 2022, which ended federal abortion laws and returned the matter to individual states, abortions have sadly continued to rise through the country. Hmm. Abortions have risen since Roe versus Wade was obliterated. And many Republican states, including Texas and South Carolina, have passed legislation either limiting or outlining the procedure. Yet, as noted by Axios, the number of abortions has written, has risen, excuse me, as Democratic-controlled states have taken on women from other parts of the country. How sick is that? In states where it's legal after six weeks, there were nearly 117,000 more abortions reported between July 2022 and June 2023 compared to baseline data from April and May 2022. The outlet reported, citing a study from the Society of Family Planning. Many of the states with large increases, increases border those with abortion bans and serve as, an, as access points for people traveling out of state. Well, all I can say is Psalm 69, verse 2. Lord, come to my assistance. Lord, make haste to help me. These last couple of minutes, I want to talk a little bit about the name of God in the Old Testament. Let's, let's switch gears over to theology. Some good news. Let's put some red meat into the mind. Yahweh of the Old Testament and Jesus of the New Testament share the same essence, divinity. Yahweh is the name of God and the Jews would refer to God as Father as well, to be honest. So Yahweh is God the Father. But Jesus Christ shares the same divine essence as Yahweh, God the Father, because Jesus is God the Son. Distinct persons, but inseparable within the Godhead. 
Jews call God, we don't even know his name, it's four consonants, it has no vowels. It's Y-H-W-H. How do you pronounce that? Nobody knows. Yehwa, I don't know. The name of God has no consonants. It, uh, it, I mean, it has no vowels, excuse me. It has no vowels. It has four consonants. And so we Christians add vowels to the sacred name that God gave Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 so that we can attempt to pronounce God's personal name. So in English, you know, some of the songs or the prayers will say Yahweh. This is an approximation of the Hebrew name for God. The Jews believe that God is, let me give you a couple of titles of God for the Jew, which are beautiful, beautiful. And we, we agree with all these titles. The Jews believe that God is Elohim. What does that mean? The creator of heaven and earth who was in the beginning, Genesis 1.1. The Jews believe that God is El Shaddai. That means the God of mighty blessings who nourishes and supplies our needs. Per Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 49, verse 24. The Jews believe that God is Adonai, which means my Lord and Master. And that's pretty much in every book of the Bible. The Jews believe that God is that God is Yahweh Hira or Jira. Jira, that means the one who sees and provides for my needs. Sometimes I hear it say Jira, Yahweh Jira, Genesis 22, 14. That's the God who sees and provides for my needs. How about Yahweh Rapha? Rapha, that's God my healer, the one who forgives all my sins and diseases. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26. How about, how about the Jews call him Yahweh Makadesh? Yahweh Makadesh, it means the Lord my sanctifier. You set me apart for yourself. As it says in Leviticus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 13, Exodus chapter 19, and Deuteronomy chapter 7. The Jews also call God Yahweh Nisi. Nisi. That's God, you are my victory, my banner, my standard. That's found in Exodus chapter 7, verse 15. The Jews also call God Yahweh Shalom. God, you are my peace. A peace which surpasses all human understanding. That's taken from Judges chapter 6, verse 24. The Jews also call God Yahweh Sitkenu. Yahweh Sitkenu. That means God is my righteousness. As it says in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5. And Psalm chapter 24, verse 5. The Jews also call God Yahweh Rohi. Yahweh Rohi. Rohi means God, you are my shepherd. Psalm 23, verse 1. And Genesis chapter 49, verse 4. The Jews also call God Yahweh Shammah. Yahweh Shammah, which means God will never leave me nor forsake me. God will never leave me nor forsake me. Taken from Hebrews chapter 3, 13, verse 5. Ezekiel 48, 35. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. The Jews also call God El Elyon, El Elyon. That is God the Most High, God the Highest Sovereign of Heaven and Earth. Genesis 14, 18, Psalm 91, verse 1. But here's what's interesting. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, the writer, the Jewish writer, is asking a series of questions to the Jews. 
Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4, it says, Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Well, we know that name. It's Yahweh. Who's gathered the wind in his fist? We know the answer, Yahweh. Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? We know the answer, Yahweh. Who has established all the ends of the earth? The answer is Yahweh. What is his name and what is his son's name? Wow. The Old Testament just told us that Yahweh has a son. And we know from the New Testament that his son's name is Jesus. The God revealed to the Israelites, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has a son. His name is Jesus, which means in Hebrew, God saves. The Jews believe that God is a supernatural being and that you can have a relationship with God, but this is mostly through the ministry of the prophets or the animal sacrificial system. The Jews even believe that God is our father. They believe that God has a certain remote, remoteness. He's above the world and his ways are unknown to man. And yet he is as close to us as a whisper, as it says in 1 Kings 19. And he's as close to us as a voice. 1 Samuel 3.10 The Jews also believe that God inhabits the praises of his people. The Jews have this recurring tension that God is far and near. This leads to passionate appeals from the Jews for communication with God. This can be seen most vividly at the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall or of the Temple of Solomon in Israel. You can also hear the Jews express God's transcendence and His imminence in the prayer book of the Psalms. Well, that's a wrap, my friends. My name is Jesse Romero. And remember, yes, God is near. He's near. He's also far. He's in the third heaven. But He's as close as living in your heart when you're in a state of grace. Hey, family. Pray, hope, and don't worry. Worry is useless. God is merciful. God will hear your prayer. We're called to be great saints. Don't miss the opportunity. Remember, we fight for ultra and throne to be one day inseparably united under Christ the King forever. See you next time. Keep the faith.